So, Psalm 133, uh, we're continuing our series of sermons on the Psalms of Ascent, and uh, we've said this every week, I'll say it again, just so that we've got the context for this. Uh, the Psalms of Ascent are a small group of Psalms that the people of Israel would sing as they journeyed towards Jerusalem for Passover. It would be a pilgrimage. They wouldn't do it every year. It would be a special event every now and again when they, they were able to. And they would walk for, for days on end, often in treacherous places, often at great cost themselves, to get to Jerusalem for the Passover, to be in the presence of God and to join with other, other Jews to celebrate their faith. It was a long, arduous journey. And it would start with the furthest away, and it might just be one family. And as they walked towards Jerusalem, others would join them, and they would gather together and journey together. And in the midst of that, they would discover something. They would find support and encouragement. They would find that actually there's something lovely about being on a journey together. And if any of you have been on a journey that has in some way been difficult or even treacherous with other people, you will know that it binds you together with those people in, in quite a unique way. Andrew and I have been to um, both uh, Haiti, which was a year after uh, the, the terrible earthquake uh, in 2010, uh, and we've also been to Uganda in some of the most desolate places of Uganda. And we went with two different groups of people, uh, but those groups of people are now friends, close friends, and will be forevermore because on those like, what, 10 to 14 days together, we shared stuff together that we probably would never share with anyone else. On our trip to Haiti, I got to share some things with one of the other guys that I would never share with anyone else, namely his underpants. Because uh, uh, on the journey there, uh, the, the airline lost my suitcase. I had the clothes I was standing in, and that is it, uh, in a very kind of hot and humid place. Not pleasant. Uh, and Ant, bless him, said, he just came to me and said, look, here's some clothes for you. So I got to wear his underpants for a few days. Fortunately, my suitcase arrived, uh, and I very gratefully gave them him back. When we were in uh, Uganda, we were with a group of other church leaders. We were there to see uh, some churches out there. Uh, and we were in the south of Uganda, right near the border of Rwanda. Uh, and it's, it's quite a desolate, very poor place, uh, and in some places quite dangerous. And um, we decided to go for a walk, and we were able to kind of go up the hill and through a kind of forest on the hill. And uh, in lots of ways, it was quite difficult. And there was a, a kind of station, a small station of soldiers uh, halfway up who were actually quite threatening. They had their guns out. They were looking at these white people walking up this road that no one else walked up uh, and looking at us with suspicion, particularly the very attractive blonde lady who was with us. Uh, they did, very rarely saw blonde women. And um, it was quite scary. We managed to get through them. And further up, we all breathed a sigh of relief, uh, only to face uh, what was nothing other than a rampant bull chasing us down the path. And uh, most of us managed to get to safety, and we left one guy in behind for some reason. I don't know how he got left behind. He was literally hiding behind a tree from this bull. Uh, and that event 
bound us together and they'll be friends forevermore. And whenever we meet, we always talk about that bull chasing Ian around the forest. That kind of journey puts you at the edge of life. It puts you on, on, on the kind of edge of what's normal and you, it binds you with those people. And that's what the people of Israel were finding as they journeyed from their homes to Jerusalem. That in all the difficulty, in those dangerous places, and there would have been dangerous places, there would have been places where they were at threat of robbery, of violence. It bound them together with a new sense of unity, a new sense of togetherness. And so the psalmist says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is good and pleasant. Those friends that we shared those journeys with, it was lovely to have that sense of togetherness that you very rarely experience. And if any of you have been in any kind of place where you've experienced a sense of unity with others, you'll know how lovely it is. It's encouraging, it's supporting, it's life-giving. It builds you up, it encourages you. It helps you personally thrive because you are in a place where you know you belong, where you know you're accepted, where you know that you can be your real self and not pretend, not put on a mask. It is good and pleasant when people live together in unity. That is how we are designed by God. To not simply be individuals on our own, doing our own thing. We are designed to be a people who live together in unity. Who share a common bond, a common purpose. It's important that we understand just how good unity is for us. In our uh, reading in Psalm 133, it's described like oil being poured over someone's head. Now that to us sounds just weird, doesn't it? No one comes to your house and you get a bottle of sunflower oil and you pour it over. You just don't do that these days, do you? But back then, it, it was used to refresh guests. It was used to offer welcome. And uh, people would have very precious and quite costly oil And if someone came to their house, they would anoint their guests with it. And it would probably be, it'd have two uh, purposes. One, a very significant one of saying, you are welcome and I honour you. And the other one, just to help them smell nice. Because there was no deodorant back then. It was a hot and humid place and you didn't want your house smelling. And so you would anoint people and that oil would fill the home with its fragrance. And we know it happened even in Jesus' time because we see in Luke 7, Jesus visits the home of a Pharisee. And while he's there, a woman comes in and starts to kiss his feet and to weep over his feet and then anoints him with oil. And what does Jesus say to the Pharisees who are critical of it? He says, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, 
but she has poured perfume on my feet. It was a common thing. And so what the psalmist is saying here is that in the place of unity, there is acceptance, there is belonging, there is a kind of fragrance to it that affects everything else. That's what unity does. It creates an environment in which people can thrive. It's the power of unity. That's why it is good and pleasant. And it is part of our natural humanity. This is not some Christian thing. This is how God's designed us. That when we live together in unity, it's lovely. It's the absence of selfishness and arrogance. It's about sharing stuff with others, about living peacefully with others. It's a lovely place to be in unity with others. That's how we are actually designed as human beings to live. That's what the Garden of Eden was. That's what heaven will be. A place in which we dwell together, live together as a united people. Unity creates the right atmosphere in which people thrive. And the natural outworking of it is, it is good and it's pleasant. But what is unity? Because unity can be misconstrued in all sorts of ways. Let me just say a few things about what unity is for us as Christians. As we gather here today, what is it that makes us one? The first thing that makes us one is the gospel. It's Jesus. It is Jesus right at the centre. It is not necessarily about all believing the same things. Some of the things that we believe, we all should believe. Because if Jesus is at the centre, then we should all believe that he is our saviour and our Lord. That he died for our sin, that he took upon him our wretchedness. And because of his death, we've been forgiven and set free. And that we will have life forevermore. In doctrinal terms, that is a primary doctrine. That is key to our faith. And we need to be united around that. Otherwise, what are we if we don't have that? There are other things we can disagree on about how to take communion and stuff like that. But they're secondary. The gospel is all about Jesus. And we need to understand that he is centre and we gather around him. Our unity is based on him. And because it's based on him, our unity is also a gift It's not something that we have to work at. It is given to us. We have been united and are one in Christ. How many times do we see that in Scripture in the New Testament where Paul particularly says, we are one in Christ. Not we are becoming one, not we should be one, but we are one. God has made us united. And you'll sometimes experience meeting a Christian, not knowing they're a Christian, and know there's a connection because of Christ in them. You recognise something about them. We are one in Christ. It's a gift. But we do have to work at maintaining that gift. Paul, in Ephesians 4, he says this. 
Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bonds of peace. Make every effort. Not just have a go at or try, but make every effort to be united, to maintain what God has given us. God has made us one and we should do everything, everything that we can to maintain our unity. And our unity is based on Jesus. It needs work. But what it means is that we start to share our lives together. Because unity isn't simply having acquaintances that you meet for an hour on a Sunday. That's not unity. That's not what the psalmist has in mind here. Because he says how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. Live together in unity. That they share their life in some way. That they have something of a common bond that goes beyond just an hour on a Sunday morning. That they reveal their deepest heart to others. That they reveal something of themselves. That they share something of themselves. That is living together. And it's hard work. And so we have to maintain, we have to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. And unity means that we actually go beyond our preferences. If I asked everyone here to to describe what your perfect church would be like, we would have, what, 80 different kinds of church. We'd all have a slightly different idea. We'd have a lot of commonality, but there'd be other things that are different. We'd want some things that others would hate. We all have our preferences. Living together in unity means that, and if we're going to make every effort, it means that in some way we compromise. We compromise on those things that we would prefer for the greater thing of unity. Now that sounds easy, but actually for us in this generation, it's really difficult because we are so used to getting what we prefer. You've all been to a supermarket. You all know that if, if you want custard, there's probably about 10 different types of custard in the supermarket that you can choose from, and you take the one that you prefer. How many cereals are there these days? I mean, it's not just a cereal, cereal shelf. It's a whole aisle on both sides filled with cereal, and you simply take the one you prefer. And if they haven't got it, you can go to another supermarket, and they will. We are so used to getting what we prefer that when we come to church, we kind of expect the same. And yet sometimes our preferences not just get in the way of our unity, but actually get in the way of our discipleship. Because if you only hang out with the people that you prefer, you're never going to get tested in your character. You'll just get on with the people that you like, and that's lovely, isn't it? What about the people who are a little bit more trying and testing to you? It's in those relationships that you actually grow and develop in your faith. Our preferences can hold us back 
from growing to be like Jesus. And it can certainly hold us back from unity. And those kind of things that I've talked about that describe what unity is help us understand what it means to get to unity. How do we attain unity? We recognise firstly our common identity, that we have Christ in us. That the person that you struggle with in church, who might have different ideas to you in church, Christ is in them in the same way that Christ is in you. We work towards what does it mean for us to live together? How do we share life together? How do we go beyond just the simple acquaintances that so often are symbolic of church life? How do we go beyond that? How do we develop relationships to to go deeper with each other? We all need to work on that. That's one of the reasons why we have missional communities. Part of that word is community, that in some way those people start to try to share life. That they eat together, they share their needs, they go beyond just the hour a week on a Sunday. It's about seeking the good of other people, about assuming the best of others in church. Why is it Christians always want to assume the worst of each other? It happens so often. You hear something and just assume that the person that you've heard about just wants the worst for you. We are called to be a people who believe that Christ is in each other. So why not assume the best of each other? Let's speak well of each other. You know, one of the most important things that you can do as a Christian is simply encourage others around you. Help them be the people that God intended them to be. Help them live to the expectations of the gospel upon us. Help them to grow in their faith through your words. You know, we live in a society where everyone wants to pull everyone else down. If you're on social media, you'll know what it's like. Everyone is doing their best to pull each other down. Church is meant to be the opposite of that. Church should be a place where we lift each other up. And why do we do this? We do it because, well, it's good and it's pleasant. That is the natural outworking of our unity together. But secondly, and more importantly, the psalmist reminds us in verse 3 that in our unity that there's blessing. And that blessing isn't the natural outworking of it simply being good and pleasant. This is God pouring out his favour on those who are united. On those who are living as he intended. Living in community, living in love, living trust with each other. That's where there is blessing. And we know it, don't we? Because on that day of Pentecost, when a small group of people, a relatively small group of people, gathered together in the upper room, united together, in their loss for Jesus, in their fear of the Pharisees, as they prayed, what did God do? In their unity, he poured down the Holy Spirit upon them. They received power to live a new life and to be a new community. That's what the blessing was. 
a new kind of living, a new kind of life that went beyond them simply following their own preferences and doing their own thing. It brought them together in a new way. And so when the psalmist says, it's there in that place of unity that God commands his blessing, he then says, life forevermore. And in Hebrew, it's, it's about a quality of life. A quality of life that you can only find in unity and you'll have it forever. Because whether you like it or not, you are going to spend forever with the people next to you. I'm just warning you now. You are going to spend forever with me. How lucky you are. Aren't you blessed? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But there's a quality of life that God gives, as well as the good and pleasant bit, that God gives a quality of life to us as we live in unity. See, when Jesus said that he had come that we may have life and life in all its fullness, that life is a gift from God. And part of that gift comes as we live together in unity. It is a God-given gift to those who are making every effort to keep the bonds of peace. There is both a natural outworking of our unity, it is good and pleasant, and there is a supernatural outworking in that God pours out his blessing on us. And if we want to be a people who make a difference in this town, if we want to be a people who see God at work amongst us, if we want to see anything like revival in the future, we have to be a people who are united together, united around the gospel, united around our love for one another, recognising Jesus in one another, and doing everything that we can to live life together. It's a big task, really. It's a big task because I know some of you and you're really difficult. (laughs) And you know me and you know how difficult I am. But here's the thing. When we get beyond the superficial stuff, when we get beyond just, you know, I'm not sure about that person. That person seems difficult. I'm not sure I like that person. When we get beyond that, we actually find that in every single person, even the most difficult person, there is something to love. There is something beautiful about that person. And in every single person in this church, there's something beautiful to love about you too. And people will only find it if you are open about who you are, if you take off the mask, if you live life with other people. That's where love actually comes into play. It's hard to love people that you don't know. It's hard to love people that you don't share life with. That's why we're all so close to family. We share our life with them. And we are family. We are meant to be family. How can we share our life together? In this weird time that we've been in, we all know what it feels like to be disconnected from those who we care about. In this time where hopefully, please God, we are coming out of it, I want to encourage you to make every effort 
to draw closer to others in this church. To make every effort to be in relationship with others, a relationship that goes deeper than simply being acquaintances. A relationship that goes into living and sharing life together. And it will never be easy. God never says it will be easy. What he does say is that there he commands a blessing. You all now know how to get a blessing from God. The thing is, are you going to do it? Are you going to do something about sharing life with each other? There are lots of things you can do. Join a mission community. Serve here. Because even in service, you start to connect with people and, and share life together in different ways. Invite people for a meal. Have a coffee with someone. Do anything that you can just to start connecting with people again. And you know what? It doesn't have to be something big or fantastic. It can just be simple things of sitting down with someone saying, how are you doing? And going beyond just the simple, yeah, I'm great. Let's make the effort. Be proactive about it. Don't wait for others to come to you. Take control and say, I will do something about this. I will start to share my life with other people. I long to see God bless us, don't you? I long to see God do something amongst us that will be surprising and unique and powerful and have an impact in this town. I long to see that. And I know that many of you do too. It starts perhaps with us sharing life together.